that train I'll go Kane Fifty-eight for nine. Stokes on strike. England need one to win. And in comes Pat Cummins from the far end. He bowls to Stokes, who hammers it for four. And stands there with the back raised. I can't believe we've seen that. That is the most extraordinary innings ever, ever been played by an Englishman. He punches the air. His helmet's off. He was hit on that helmet this morning. Bits flew off all over the place. And he's slumped to his knees. One Australian's there. It's Lyon, I think, who knew. Well, Aid, what can I say? Other than this, that I found myself shouting and screaming at the TV, just just watching it by myself, just could not could not control myself when uh, that run out that uh, Lion just fluffed, and that was we only needed one to win when that happened, or two to win, we'd have lost by one run. And then the catch, Harris's catch that went down. Uh, yep, yeah, no, I uh, Alan immediately rang me. Uh, after Stokes hit the winning runs and he was just screaming on the end of the phone and my immediate reaction to that was that is the best innings I've ever seen in a test match and he agreed and I think it was because reading the uh, blogs today and uh, test match special thing that's what they're saying that is the best test innings that Alistair Cook that Michael Vaughan that Jonathan Agnew has ever seen and possibly not Jeffrey Boycott because I don't think he was asked but but what a what is what an innings the context of it the fact that the ashes are on the line we've been bowled out for 67 all of that one wicket left 74 to get it's Jack Leach ah I'm still trying to kind of put into terms and words what has just happened from Ben Stokes' situation. I mean, England overnight had a chance. England within an hour, lose Joe Root, still got a chance. Johnny Bairster just after lunch goes, Joss Butler run out, game over. Wokes caught extra cover, game over. Joffre comes out and gets the crowd going with a few fours, gets caught on the edge, out, gone, game over. Broad on his way, game over. And then all of a sudden, this colossal man, this superman, this chap that just things that not many cricketers in the history of Test Match Cricket, in the history of cricket can do. To hit that ball so cleanly in front of 20 odd thousand people on the feet, cheering him on, and Jack Leach to just nugget himself to one that out. I, I can't really put into words, all I can say is, and I know at the time you always kind of big everything up, I don't think I've seen a better Test Match innings. And the other thing which I just sort of Whatever it is, and I, I'm with you, I, I, my mood is affected hugely by cricket, especially England's cricket. But one thing that, I, that has got under my skin, and Alan's skin, and probably your skin, and Tim's skin, and uh, whoever else is in it, into it in a big way, and, uh, is characters like David Nickhoff Warner, you know, Justin Nickhoff Langer. Darren Lehman, you know, Michael Clark, Ian Chappell, Shane Warne, you know, these these total arrogance-ish that, that 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 sort of basically sort of think England's a load of rubbish and uh, Australia are just brilliant and we're still going to sort of sledge and dig and Brad Haddon, these these blokes, I absolutely loved the expression on David Warner's face when he collapsed on the ground uh, at the end of that. And you're right, they were like ants, weren't they? Like ants scattering around the uh, the boundary. 
diving, just just diving, uh, trying to stop it, and it was just no use. And just the ball just plopping over Hazelwood's head a couple of times for six. Uh, uh, yeah, pretty, really, really good. Couldn't happen to a nicer bunch of people, really. everyone to box 39 here on Colm radio it is the treasure chest of magazine music and the funny side of life absolutely rooted in our wonderful community here in northeast essex now the theme of our show today well it's trains and all things trains connected from train spotters to train interiors to films and culture about trains it's trains all the way and of course if we're going to be doing this we might as well know what trains are like around here here in North East Essex and we can draw in a listener's question Brian Sargent from Central Colchester has asked us and he said me and my family including my uncle who I recently realised is not really my uncle very much enjoyed the Colchester tourism audit you did on a recent show and we would love to hear you and the Box 39 team conduct an audit of Colchester Railway Services Ian I think I'd be much more interested to find out who this gentleman is if he's not his uncle. Could we go have that conversation? Or are we doing trains? Uh, it's embargoed. I'm sorry. That's oh, uh, okay. in the courts. Can't talk. So what do you want to know? Because we have a, a number of train stations in Colchester. So what fellas sitting well, opposite me today? Well, what, I think we've got three, three minutes, three stations. Okay. Uh, Colchester North Primary, the main line station um, on the London to Norwich line. Yeah, that's the one everyone will know, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Run by Greater Anglia, 50 miles, 51 miles, I think, actually, from uh, Liverpool Street Station. It was opened in 1843. Prior to electrification of the lines, Colchester was modernised. 1843? Mike, do you remember that? Uh, 1943, (laughs) but uh, not quite. You know, cast your memory back, Mike. You'll you'll, you'll get better. (laughs) Colchester was modernised starting in 1962 with a new station building on the north. Um, it's got the longest station platform yeah, you know, in the I've UK. Heard that. Is Six, that true? It is, yeah, 620 metres. 600 In old money, one. Mike, that's 2,034 feet. How do you do those things in your head? How do you do those? And Mike, how does he do that? They're at the synapses well, at the back of my skull. Anyway, can we move well, on, Mike? I, I, Don't interrupt now. Well, we haven't got time. Just a quick one. I've, I've come <laughs> in on a kind of a, a white old train from uh, Clacton. Ran from the one the one platform. Of course, it goes across another one to get the Norris train, which is faster. It's about half a mile. It's long. It is true. Okay. It's very, very. Yeah, I'd have stayed on the original train, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's one station. We've yeah. only got a couple of minutes now. What other stations are there? Uh, I can't believe there's three. Well, what what is now referred to as Colchester Town, but used to be called Saint Botolph's because of the proximity of Saint Botolph's Church. Yeah, uh, logical. Name change changed around 1990. Um, Sunshine Coast, it's H to Clacton. Again, run by Great yeah. Anglia. Secondary station serving the centre of town. But they've Only changed, one platform They have built. changed it, haven't they? They seem they to have. remember it was a car park there. and It was a car park, and now it's a magistrate's court. Yeah. Maybe they prosecute all the car park thieves, I'm not quite sure. Do you, anyway. like, do you like that station? It's quite an old station. It's a nice old station. I think it? it's got lots of characters. Yeah. And yeah. it's a short walk from where I live. It's lovely. And the great mm-hmm. thing is, it's very uh, religious because it's closed on Sundays. So, in our, on our last 30 seconds, how come we got a third station? What's the third station in? The Hive. The Hive. Which used to be the old docks. Really? Mm-hmm. Opened 1847 to the west um, of the stations, a triangle of lines. And the three junctions uh, basically redirect everything. So you've got East Gates, Hive Junction, and Cone Junction. Now, do you know we've got another? We've got a thing on here from Facebook, someone called Terry the Fish, nineteen sixty-eight, and he says, "Mike, if you could add a railway line that passed through uh, or originates in Colchester, where would it go? Quick, fifteen seconds, Mike. Where would it go? Uh, Cambridge Direct. It's not that far away. It's uh, got so many things to offer, and it takes about two, three trains from Wimbledon and about two hours." Well, that's, that's a very good suggestion, Cambridge Direct. Uh, he got some Does that mean it's got no junction, so there's no delays? <laughs> well, it's even more perfect then, isn't well, it? Well, I'd go for that as well, then. Absolutely perfect. I'd like a, just a straight up and down train line, no delays, great.
it all away We travel on the last bus from Santee Through province town to cities of obscurity And some way down the road it occurs to me That I, I might have missed my stop But I will not return to yesterday Smooth out the human clay We'll face this new England Like we always have In a fury of denial We'll go out dancing on the tiles Help me down, but don't take me back The railways hold a special place in the psyche and the proclivity for nostalgia of the British people who hasn't walked along a disused railway and felt revisionist warmth about the missing rabbits and sadness at the dearth of Dutch elm trees, or chugged along a leafy valley on a steam train preserved specifically for people wearing sunblock and eating ice cream. The bygone age of trains seems to make people very aware of transience. They are troubled by vanishings, the closed pubs, the conductors on buses, the door-to-door milkmen and the great pipe smoker extinction. They feel sad about all of them, and some even talk about getting our country back. A significant part of the cultural economy has been built around these feelings, ranging from preserved steam railways to historical TV serials about midwives and country policemen. And we now know, if we didn't know before, that a political movement can draw strength from these anachronistic self-perceptions too. I wonder whether Dr. Beeching would have voted for or against Brexit. remember my Gillingham grandmother tiptoeing a swan vesper to match the gas mantle firing the honeycomb thin mesh into pop-pop flames she arches above constable's cornfield boy beside the stream her shadow darkening his golden hair I remember the front parlour sitting room where nobody sits on the woven tablecloth thick as carpet The Aspidistra's leathery leaves spread like colonies on a map. In the poor, murky light, the ornate fireplace ironed with age and never lit. I remember snuggling feather-soft down by Dad in Grandma's brass knob bed, damp, warmed by the long-handled, smouldering, ashful round pan, thin as copper. On the dressing table, a high, ornate jug stands in a bowl, ceramic with roses. Beneath the bed, a chamber piss-pot, built to last. I remember kneeling in the box room, travel trunk high, to spot King Arthur, the midnight drain to Margate. Four six-two wheels, frantic for rail grip, churning, slowly gaining out of the station. The footplate man's face, lit from the boiler, leans out into the future. I remember the night-lit railway siding. Steam pudgy, clanking locos, unseen couplings like lovers, turntabling in chunky patterns through the starlit evening. The whole scene bursting with shunter steam in flurries of fluffy white rising through engine shed vents. I remember wallflowers, glowing red, orange, yellow, the small blue forget-me-nots, symbols of my grandma's love and hope. Her ageing, incurving mouth is kind, like a chrysanthemum's middle. At the end of the strip garden, soot-laden snapdragons lead to the narrow alley, the small boy's train pathway to heaven. These images the Portsmouth-bound Black Austin 7, wedged with family. Goodbye, small house. 
Goodbye, trains. Goodbye, High Street Odeon, where Grandma, front row, one and nine pennies, dozed through Gone with the Wind and two B-movies. On thimble-thin tyres, we tilt through Abinger Hammer. Will the man with the silver hammer strike the hour on the clock, overhanging the green as we pass under? By passing Guildford, sleep drifting by the river through Godalming, I wake, shaken at the Devil's Punch Bowl motor coach stop. We scoff scones and buns with tea, PG tips. Dad sucks old Holborn through his burnt bowl brown pipe. Soon home now, son, Mum says, through lip hook and lis, as King Arthur steams on through my young bones in the Kentish moonlight. I remember to underline the express on my train spotting list. listening to Out of Box 39 on Colne Radio 106.6 FM. Well, that was uh, autobiographical autobiographical poem by our Mike that's sitting here. Absolutely brilliant, Mike. And that was uh, voiced by the wonderful Yvonne, who's here as well, here in Cone Radio Towers. And just to say, you're listening, of course, to Box 39 here on 106.6 FM Cone Radio. And uh, I'm here in the studio and opposite me, wearing quite a nice pink uh, pink polo neck shirt is uh, is ian and sitting to my left wearing a pair of dungarees tonight is mike and so the uh, uh, adrian's not here he'll be here later but he's not here at the moment he's just uh, having a little bit of a rub down in the calm radio spa okay another question half a century of the politicization of railways i think we've had so mary campbell seems to have hit that theme that i was thinking she's from upper denton she says what were the cuts from dr beeching in the 1960s well far too early for me i'm afraid i i i have to bow to the uh, slightly older gentleman that with me uh, so mike fine. mike what were the cuts from dr beeching in the well, 1960s uh the doctor Beaching report, so-called, of the early 60s, actually was a huge axe. And uh, 6,000 6, railway mile, uh, miles were axed by the end of the 1960s, leaving Britain with just 14,000 miles. That's almost uh, a third. And wow, that's was, quite severe, isn't it? No wonder we still remember that 50 years on. Absolutely. Still having the effects of so yeah, many places yeah. we could ride bikes down now, but that's not the point. The point was that at the time, uh, the justification was cost and efficiency. But uh, if uh, you think about the negative impact, uh, mass closure of railways and the loss of many local services in the period that followed, impact on roads and heightened road bike building. I, w- I would say, though, Mike, do- surely it's better to have all these containers on roads now, isn't it? They can go, you know, that's much more efficient, isn't it, than uh, on uh, trains? Well, <laughs> not given our uh, global warming situation. And oh, I see, yeah. that, But uh, we haven't heard of global warming in the 1960s, have we? Well, this is true, but... Uh, uh, so I... I, I think, you know, the mistakes that are made then, surely just anyone in their right minds would just rectify those and reopen the railways, wouldn't they? Except once they were closed, and um, it's really affected us locally here in, uh, well, I was in Hampshire at the time, but in Essex, Colne Valley Railway, Houston Railway, Calverton, Tolsbury, Star Valley, Long Melford, Bury St Edmunds, Whitham to Malden. It just um, cut off communities, um, especially those without cars. Well, Mike... National Network Rails still own all of those uh, sidings. They they own all the access to it. Why can't they simply just lay new lines and stick some electricity down it? It seems so easy and straightforward and sensible, doesn't it? Well, it does when the infrastructure as such is there. You know, it's all at the right gradient for running a train on. What's the problem? Come on, Mike. Just put in a petition to the government. Well, this may be... this, (laughs) This is... 
But we've got another message here on the screen from uh, Mers- West Mersia, someone called Orla. And she says, I remember trains on the British Rail. She says, and this is what her opinion, I guess, awful service, terrible food. Surely, she says, it much better after the railways have been privatised in the UK in the early 1990s. Do you agree with that, gentlemen? Ian? Do you agree with that? Well, I think they have improved. I mean, I can remember getting on a train at Piccadilly in Manchester to go back to university in London. Um, and it was one of those old carriages where you sat sort of uh, five across facing one another. And there was no, you just got in and you got out. Yeah. There was no corridor or anything. And everyone else is going to light their pipes. Three hours, it's just awful. Three hours in a sealed compartment with no toilet, travelling 250 miles. Not the most pleasant journey of my life. Mike, how do you think the railways are better now? Well, I remember British Rail, and uh, I don't like to be nostalgic, but I uh, had some great times on British Rail, especially when they had a, uh, like, uh, the, 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 the buffet was like a bar, and it was like a... A small <coughs> mobile community where uh, people talk to each other. Oh, you always remember the bar, bar, don't you, Mike? Always remember the bar. People talking to one another. <laughs> it must have been the dark ages. Yeah. And what happens now? People go up and they spill their coffee over other people sitting in the carriages. And you... shout into their mobile phones. Hey, Mike. But no, uh, come... And another thing, and another thing. What about the uh, complications with fares uh, all over the country? Yeah, that is a nightmare. Very complicated. That is a nightmare. But I want to stand up for the modern day railways and say, it's great. I can get on this wonderful train and it is very clean and they do provide me with a nice cup of coffee and it's almost a bowl full of coffee and i can plug my phone into a little charger and, uh, and isolate yourself from society absolutely how lovely community-less train system yeah well maybe the one well, good uh, thing bill though is do you know what those doors do normally close except the other day going on the south end line they do normally close the driver knows they're shut so it is safe to pull away from the station. But for see, me, that I heard means that. a bit more. There's this big fuss that a train was open, door was open for 23 minutes. I took a six-hour train journey in uh, India recently, and the doors were just being opened and closed by people um, all the way along that six-hour journey. And we travelled for miles with lots and lots of doors open, and no one seemed to fall off. Well, was that, that just to enhance the air conditioning? It right? was, yes, yeah. yes. But, I mean, the danger of that, uh, certainly a case to have guards on every train because um, had a young child uh, just run down, could have been sucked out, and uh, driver fatigue. Um, it's a strike that instant about the uh, open door is certainly a case for guards on trains. You know, you are starting to look like a certain man with the initials JC. Should we leave it there, Bill? <laughs> okay, look. Do you know, um, Orla and Mary Campbell, both of you have joined in with us. The railways in this country, they're sort of seen through the prisms of uh, of history, aren't they? And uh, I would say they epitomise a version of Britishness, a type of nostalgia that's triggered sometimes by nothing more than, than place names. Millersdale for Tideswell Kirby Muxlow Mal Cop and Scholar Green. No more will I go to Blandford Forum and Morty Ho. On the slow train from Midsummer Norton and Mumby No churns, no porter, no cat on a seat. At Chalton come Harney or Chester the Street. We won't be meeting again on the slow train. I'll travel no more from Littleton Batsy to Openshaw. At Long Stanton, I'll stand well clear of the doors no more. No whitewashed pebbles, no up and no down. From Formby Four Crosses to Dunstable Town, I won't be going again on the slow train. On the main line and the good siding, the grass grows high at Dog Dyke, Tumby Woodside, and Trouble House Halt. <laughs> Thank you.
just what I'm made of There'll be a time when I won't remember what I was afraid of again And then you won't be able to box me in Don't box me in Don't box me in, that's right. After tumbling in a rather dishevelled and purposeless way out of university life, I found myself boxed into the rabbit warren of London, scuttling around looking for money as if I wasn't really in control. So I set off all on my own for the continent, intent on roaming around without a plan and getting my boxed-in head together. The interrail scheme for European travellers allowed unlimited travel for a flat fare. I paid £126 for my ticket and I spent over four weeks travelling around six countries. I suppose it's part of the divorce deal with the rest of Europe, but the UK is ending its participation in the interrail scheme later this year, after nearly five decades. There's a few places round that I've never been There's a notion out there that I gotta swim There's a river that flows right past my door I wonder, I wonder You're listening to Box, uh, what is it? 39. Box 39. So, as the uh, notes of Thomas the Tank Engine... Uh, they fade away in the background. Could I just say a couple of things? First of all, great uh, little note there from Adrian about Interrail. It really is a train ticket that can take you anywhere in Europe. Sharing and living without walls. Barriers or ownership. Absolute wonderful community concept. And we're pleased to say that the Interrail divorce uh, that was uh, put in place has actually been reversed. And we're not going to lose our position in Europe's Interrail. Well, okay. So let's carry on with oh, the Bill, show. Bill, can I just ask, did they go to Relate to sort that out? <laughs> <laughs> I think they did. I think they must have done. Anyway, That's one of their successes oh, then. My microphone just decided to creep up towards the... Uh, oh, it's going again. Sorry Doesn't about that. Doesn't it realise you're not that tall? <laughs> so, trains. Trains and railways. They are in our culture, aren't they? And uh, Bernie the Bolt, five. Up a bit, left a bit, <laughs> yeah. right a bit. Just like my microphone. Fire! He's from Ipswich, and he's contacted us on uh, FB, as we say here in um, media, Facebook. And he says... Have you noticed, uh, I presume he's addressing Ian and Mike here, how much love the British have for trains and train journeys? Seems to be a big favourite for film and TV makers. What trains and railways are in our culture? Now, I I do know you have a particular fascination for one film, don't you, Ian, about trains and railways, and a particularly well, I do. A good actress in I it. I do, but I think you probably ought to start with the one which has really dragged trains into the consciousness of the youth. The youth? Is, the youth. That's with three Fs at the end <laughs> of it. And that would be Hogwarts Express. Yes, my daughters love that, and they're sort of 20 in their 20s. Yeah, but if you, re- if you remember when that book came out, that really got kids far more interested in trains. All those kids that weren't interested in Thomas the Tank Engine yeah. suddenly wanted to go down to... Uh, and of, of course, it passes over that wonderful viaduct somewhere up north. Up north, well, there's one at Ribblehead. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, just coming out of... It uh, is good. It is an essential part of the story, and I think nostalgia for the parents who are reading that to their children, and for the children, a sort of bygone age of uh, steam trains, because didn't Harry Potter travel on a steam train? I think he the did. Hogwarts Express and, was steam, wasn't and it? And I, I must say, that it's not just the one at Ribblehead which they use, which comes out of Horden at Ribblesdale. There's also one up in Scotland, and it causes massive traffic jams every time a train runs over it. Well, let's let's be in suspense. But the one I really, really wanted. To oh talk yeah, about. you're keeping Bernie the Bolt Five in suspense. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jenny Agatha, Railway Children. What's all that about then? 
Um, I think it was a fascination with somebody ripping off their petticoat and waving at a train, actually, a, a boy of a certain age. But no, was, no, what's the film? Are we doing about, <laughs> about your, your d- deep, father uh, strange behaviour? Father suddenly disappearing in the middle of the night. And yeah. One suspects he was arrested for some reason, I seem to recall. They had a railway at the bottom of their garden. They had they? a railway at the bottom of the garden. Times were hard. They befriended a, a, the station master, but the, their brother was stealing coal. There was this landslide, wasn't there? It was a landslide, and that oh, led to exciting. the ripping off of the pe- red petticoat and waving at the, uh, yeah, at the train to make it stop. And to show his appreciation, the owner of the train line started a petition to get their father released. And that's the nub of the story, really. Now, Mike, um, let's go back to one from uh, uh, a little while ago. 1936, this one. Yeah, the year I I was conceived. Absolutely. And Mike, tell us about this 1936 film. Most people, I think, will have heard of it. Nightmare. And this uh, was yes. uh, a masterpiece, a uh, person piece, I should say, for those names. It's um, a 25-minute British documentary that um, tracks the journey of an overnight LMS mail train from London to Scotland. And uh, it was just fantastic bringing together of talent. Narrated by John Grierson, music by Benjamin Britten, and poetry yeah. by W.H. Auden. Yeah. And the film itself, it, uh, it, it shows the uh, post office sorters sorting the uh, mail on the train. You get the sense of the, the, the movement on the train as they go through uh, England. And uh, wonderful um, shots of the train picking up uh, water on the way, uh, uh, sorry, mail on the way. And um, it's just brilliant. Because they, they used to hang the mail on those little arms, didn't they? Right. And as the train went past, it just got whipped straight into the train. About 60 miles an hour. Do you, I, I always then, wondered with that film whether when it was re- or seen by the great train robbers in the 1950s, that's where they got their idea from. Could well be. <laughs> but I, I was going to say, I, we actually did this as our... Well, what would it be now? Year eight performance at school. Yeah. And with I, that wonderful poem. This is yeah. the nightmare crossing the border, bringing the check and the postal order. Yeah. So atmospheric. It was great yeah. stuff. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, Mr. Lawrence, we're talking. Gen- do you gentlemen, mind? can I just drag you back into the 21st century? Do you mind? Um, wallowing in your reminiscences of your ancient youth back in the, uh, you know, a long time ago. Let's get to more modern things. More modern. Now, and this is, isn't even as modern as that. Now, there's a program called uh, the, line, the, the Fall and Rise of Reginald Parent. Remember that? Spiffing. Yeah. Spiffing, Reggie. With Leonard, Leonard Rossiter. It was a comedy, and it absolutely changed um, people's perceptions of uh, quite a lot of things, in particular commuting. Now, commuting is our, sort of, our next theme, really. It was sublime, wasn't it, Reggie Perrin? He was a commuter who'd had to travel every day on the 8th, 30-something rather from Croydon. I obviously, I obviously missed the fact it was a comedy because I always thought it was a nature programme about hippopotamuses. <laughs> do you remember Reggie Perrin, uh, Mike? I do. Yeah, I do. Sublime Menace, yeah. wasn't it? Conceptual yes. nonsense of being a commuter on the trail, train yeah. each day. Have you ever been a commuter, Mike? Well, I just said about Reggie Perrin, was so subtle and convincing as uh, when he complained about something. It was just so, so strong and entertaining. But, um, yeah, well, I, I've... I've travelled a lot from Essex to uh, Hampshire, my uh, original home, but um, the only computing I'm, commuting I've done is really from Wivenhoe to Braintree, and it's a very exciting commute, uh, changing at Whitham and uh, going through Great Notley, and Little Notley, I think, and um, on that line from Whitham to Braintree, I mean, you just have to provide your own entertainment, really. I think it is a, it is a whole cultural way of life being a commuter, isn't it? It's the same old faces, same delays delays rather same shared nightmare who would be a computer well possibly uh, anyone in Wivenhoe because actually Wivenhoe uh, they love their commuting don't they in Wivenhoe who'd be a commuter Back again, though I do not know your name, you're by my side. Oh, I love you, I cry from deep inside. 
But love is what you hide On the early morning I look out of the window I look down at my shoe At the man with the damned eyebrow And secretly at you Oh, I love you But what am I to do? How can I get through? Streamline designer Sir Nigel Gresley named his A4-class engines Merlin and Osprey, Sparrowhawk, Kingfisher, Peregrine and Bittern. With a fine artist eye for line and proportion, the fastest, Mallard, after ducks bred in his garden. At Stoke Bank near Grantham, the world steam record broken, achieved by a bold, imaginative showman who wired off a riverbank to make a safe haven to protect his family of ducks from rats, weasels and ravens. The garter blue mallard's distinctive livery matches the duck's iridescent purple-blue flurry at takeoff. Duck's web feet splay water, creating blurred motion like a steam train's friction slip-sliding wheel search for track-speed adhesion. Yet, the Gresley Society Trust, some call po-faced Philistines, is dropping the duck from the original planned statue, claiming its inclusion undignified, demeaning. No aquatics, those pro-duckers are a bunch of unbalanced fanatics. But what is a statue of Tommy Cooper without fez or rabbit? Margaret Thatcher without obsessive handbag habit? John Betjeman at St Pancras without shopping basket? At Paddington, Brunel, no stovepipe hat trademark? So, what's Gresley's statue without the duck? A bronzed, aged man in a crumpled suit. Pro-duckers are ruffled and will place duck tributes at the foot of the statue. Double-stitched knitted ducks, balloon and rubber ducks, super-glued toy ducks. The sculptured duck will provoke all kinds of inquiries. Children will ask, that man with a duck, what's his story? And discover the great Gresley's mallard steam glory. Hello, I'm Bill Lawrence, and let me tell you about my big bag of onions. Bill's Big Bag of Onions is on Colm Radio every Sunday from 10pm to midnight, and again on Monday nights from midnight to 2am. Your late night journey through intriguing spoken word and sometimes undeservedly unfamiliar music. Bill's Big Bag of Onions Late Night Dreamscape Radio For any time of the day 
We are at Chapel and Wakes Colne on the Sudbury branch from Mark's Tay. Four-wheeled rail buses were introduced as an economy measure for little-used branch lines. We turn left onto the Colne Valley line. Colne Valley and Halstead Railway opened in 1880 as far as Halstead. Gradually extended in the following years, it remained an independent company until absorbed into the LNER in 1923. As rail buses had half cabs, front seat occupants had an uninterrupted view along the track ahead. Alan might have chosen a day with better weather. This station served the twin villages of Sybil Headingham and Castle Headingham. A rail bus could seat 50 to 60 passengers, but I guess it very seldom did. This line was closed in the 1960s, different sections on different dates. The left fork led to the Colne Valley Line's original terminus, but when the Great Eastern built a line through Averill, the Colne Valley made a connection to it, and their terminus became the goods station. above the ground In that pyramid near Maryland Easy jet is hanging in the air Flying everybody everywhere See the slave ship sailing into port The blood of Africa's in every wharf There's a ley line Runs down Matthew Street Giving energy to all it meets Hey, does this train stop? Does this train stop on Merseyside? Hey, does this train stop? Does this train stop on Merseyside? Who took on the hard graft of building the first railways? That task fell to vast gangs of itinerant labourers, also known as navvies. By 1850, a quarter of a million workers, a force bigger than the army and navy combined, had laid down 3,000 miles of railway line across Britain. About a third of these navvies were Irish, many of whom were fleeing the famine back in Ireland. Tramping from job to job, navvies and their families lived and worked in appalling conditions, often for years on end, in rough timber and turf huts alongside the bridges, tunnels and cuttings that they had built. The harsh conditions in communal living meant that navvies evolved a lifestyle, culture and even a language of their own. They gained a reputation for fighting, hard living and hard drinking. Hey, does this train stop? Does this train stop on Merseyside? Hey, does this train stop? Does this train stop on Merseyside? Box 39? What's in it then? This is the night mail crossing the border, bringing the check and the postal order. Letters for the rich, letters for the poor, the shop at the corner and the girl next door, pulling up B-talk, a steady climb, the gradients against her, but she's on time, past cotton grass and moorland boulder, shoveling white steam over her shoulder, snorting noisily as she passes, silent miles of wind-bent grasses. Birds turn their heads as she approaches, stare from the bushes at her blank face coaches. Sheep dogs cannot turn her course. They slumber on with paws across. In the farm she passes, no one wakes, but a jug in the bedroom gently shakes. Dawn freshens, the climb is done. Down towards Glasgow she descends, towards the steam tugs yelping down the glade of cranes, towards the fields of apparatus, 
The furnaces set on the dark plain like giant chessmen. All Scotland waits for her. In the dark of glens beside the pale green sea locks, men long for news. Faster than fairies, faster than witches, bridges and houses, hedges and ditches, and charging along like troops in a battle, all through the meadows, the horses and cattle. All of the sights of the hill and the plain fly as thick as driving rain. And ever again in the wink of an eye, painted stations whistle by. Here is a child who clambers and scrambles all by himself and gathering brambles. Here is a tramp who stands and gazes, and there is the green for stringing the daisies. Here is a cart run away in the road, lumping along with man and load. And here is a mill, and there is a river, each a glimpse and gone forever. You are listening to a train special edition of Box 39 here on 106.6 FM on Colm Radio. With me, Bill Lawrence, and our trusty co-hosts in front of me, we've got Ian Tallentire, and to my left is Mike Harwood. I'm sorry, Did you Mike. forget who he was for a moment? <laughs> I'm sorry, Mike. I, I, I was just look, just flashed up on the screen in front of me uh, as come this uh, uh, text, and I was rather caught by it. It's from someone called Daryl Bass yeah. from Brimwood. And um, Daryl says, Would you rather take a train or a plane to a new destination? Well, Mike, well, what, what would you rather, take a train or a plane? It depends where it is. Obviously, if you don't fly, you're somewhat limited in terms of going around the world. But... Uh, for Europe, for example, um, train for sure. Yeah. Uh, because um, you can get uh, from this part of the world, Colchester, to uh, to Stratford, 10 minutes to Ebbsfleet, and you're on the way to um, Lille. Change the platform, you're in Marseille uh, in not much more time than it takes. By the time you got to the airport, gone through all the checks, and then travelled out from the uh, outside of any town back in to the centre, it's not much difference. And on the train, you can stretch, you can read, um, and uh, no contest, really. (laughs) There are advantages in flying. (laughs) So, Mike, Mike, would you like to do that journey, or have you done it? Done it many times, yeah. Have you? Uh, Gateway to uh, Nice, and uh, you get a boat train to Corsica, and uh, obviously you get the feel of, uh, if you you cross countries, you get more of a feel of uh, the landscape, the culture, you know. Yeah, trains are nice things. I mean, the one bit I'd add to that, Bill, other than obviously the disadvantage of not having a cooked breakfast, um, is that when you take a seat on a train, you've arrived. Yeah. Yeah, you still don't want to go the journey, but you're going from the centre of somewhere to the centre of somewhere, whereas when you're flying, you're going to the outskirts, to the outskirts. You you then have to go wherever you're going as well as undertaking yeah. that journey. You very often have to take a train at that point. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I and, and there is I know it's a it's a one of those crass phrases, but I always feel that when I've taken my seat on the train, I'm there. There's no more worrying, you're gonna get there. Yeah. Well, I, I, I agree with you. Now I that really follows up to another email we've got, uh text, sorry, uh from Philippa Dunn from St. Osith. She lives on Gusset Hill. And uh, Philippa says, from right up there on the hill, she's at the top of Gusset Hill, she says, if you could take a train ride anywhere in the world, which train experience would you want to have, Ian? Where would you want to go? Uh, I've had a few. Um, and to be quite honest, I don't think they could be much weirder or more complimentary than the ones I've had. I've done it. I did in trailing as a student. It was fantastic right, yeah. seeing Europe. Yeah. I've travelled with you in Indonesia. You have indeed on the train. From uh, Jakarta to a place called Solo, which was just amazing. It was. British-built train service, um, having said that, or at least the tracks. But I also, as a small child, went from Texas to Mexico City on the train. And the one abiding memory I have there of, of the train passing over 
tens of box, what they call box bridges out in the States, which are these things created almost like Meccano uh, type bridges yes. on a huge scale. And the it's, shadows, yes. the shadows that they cast over the, uh, the valleys, the, um, and the rivers that you were crossing. Just, uh, um, an amazing journey. Where did you end up in Mexico? Can you remember? Mexico City. Yeah, and uh, I've I've got some friends there. They're uh, twin firemen. You might know them, Jose and Jose B. <laughs> I haven't didn't come across those. Take a train to Market Bosworth, Leicestershire, and on to the village of Cadeby, where at the church you will certainly find a model vicar with a very special train of thought which he signals to his parishioners. You'll get the point and see the connection when the church service is over and there is time for the vicar to get back to his timetable routine and for the congregation to disperse. Understand the railway terminology? The Reverend Teddy Boston is a model railway enthusiast and expert. Like every grown man, he's a boy at heart with a passion for locomotives. He'd say, of course, that it's Christianity, that unless you can become as a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Certainly, model railways are something like heaven to him. My theory is that uh, if you haven't had breakfast and you take a sandwich on the train, I personally don't like to sit with my back to the engine because the food will digest backwards. That's true, isn't it? People, nobody, nobody's agreed with me. No, I, I, I understand that. And it's not, the worst thing you eat backwards is cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? Well, what I was going to say, the difficulty with that is that you're constantly moving away from your sandwich, <laughs> so it might actually get out of your reach. But is that a British Rail sandwich? It could be. It could be, yeah. uh, you know, some other manufacturer. You may have carried it on from a supermarket of no name. Mango Dread, who uh, regularly is one of our communicators and fans and listeners uh, from Shrub End. And Mango says, uh, if you could find yourself sitting next to anyone on a train for a two-day trip, quite specific there, a two-day trip, who would you pick to sit next to? I thought we'd start with you, Ian. Who would you pick to sit uh, next to? Probably, uh, well, living or dead. Two days. Living or dead. Either. Okay. Um, Nelson Mandela. Yeah. And the reason I say that is that ever since I, since I saw him walk free that Sunday morning yeah. or Sunday lunchtime, yeah. um, I've had about a thousand and one questions I've wanted to ask him about his uh, life experiences and uh, what led him to take um, such a stance. And I just, I reckon two days would just about do it. And I think I would leave that train carriage a calmer, more peaceful and more reflective person. And Mike, who would you who would you sit next to? I'd like to sit next to Michael Palin. Um, yeah, he is so, top man, uh, isn't he? So he's such a uh, so full of humanity, concern for other people. Uh, he, what he's what his 
the way he gets people to talk in different countries, it gets right beyond the uh, surface. And uh, I think I, I think he, we, we've got on fine for two days. Well, that's a, some brilliant questions from listeners. Absolutely wonderful. I'm loving trains. Feeling lost and you're overflowing When you don't know what to do or where to start Just think of me as a train that's coming Coming to bring you to your heart Trains, for as long as such contraptions have existed, have been a staple symbol or metaphor or narrative device for fiction, poetry and the lyrics of songs. Whether it be the coital physiology of a train entering a tunnel, or the romantic indicator of frontiers conquered, or the go-anywhere freedom of the train hopper, or the means of hurtling away from trouble, or the means of racing towards a lover's embrace, or the unstoppable machine whose destination is set by the single-minded sleepers and steel of the rails. Trains are everywhere, and probably always will be. Just think of me as a train that's coming. Coming to bring you to your heart Well, we've reached the end of the line. The end of our show on trains here on Box 39 this week. Thank you ever so much for everyone who's contributed, Yvonne in particular, and Adrian. Thank you so much. And thanks to my guests here in the studio, Ian Tallentire, and the mighty Mike Harwood with his poetry as well. Absolutely wonderful. Red Button's coming up soon. That's going to be great because we've got Adrian live from Indonesia. He's come all the way. So, time to go, everyone. Yes, Bill. We are right here in the Full Spectrum Media Centre upon the fourth floor of Cone Radio Towers, high above the full and fertile lands that have recently been harvested in northeast Essex. It's time for us to close Box 39 once more. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Just think of me as a train that's coming. Coming to bring you to your Coming to bring you to your heart. A Guppy production for Cone Radio. (laughs) 